everyone's so busy keeping up. Forget about the Joneses, we all on our telephones. With the texts and the tweets and the beats, what he said, she said, can't even follow the three. Down the hole, we all go. Me, I like keeping up too, with my corona and my attitude. That's La Vida Masfina. Relax responsibly. Corona Extra Beer. Imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. Here's my question, gentlemen. This postseason has been wildly unpredictable. Uh, We've already seen what we know is the best team in baseball get knocked out. Uh, Does that create any hope for Twins fans who are wondering how this team will ever make it to a World Series again? Let's ask that question of Roy Smalley and Lavelle Neal here on Chin Music. This is our baseball show at TalkNorth.com. We recommend subscribing to your favorite podcast app. It's free. It's the easiest way to listen. Of course, you can always go to TalkNorth.com and find the shows, the archives of our shows, or you can follow us on Twitter at TalkNorthPod and see all the shows as they are released. Whatever way you want to listen, we do appreciate it. Thanks to our producer, Brianne Burnett. Thanks also to Corona, the official import beer sponsor of the Minnesota Twins and the presenting sponsor of the Chin Music Show here at TalkNorth.com. So let's get into it here. Uh, Let's just start with Roy today. What do you, you know, you're at least considered a traditionalist, although you also are very willing to change with time on certain topics. How do you feel about the current current postseason format and what we've seen this fall so far? Well, I I don't like how long it, it you know it inevitably goes. We see this in every sports sport now, and you know I, I wish there were a better way to do it, but I like this format. Um, better than than in the past. It, it made it makes a lot more sense to me how they how they uh, they did the the wild card rounds. <clears throat> the 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 problem is, with it is that uh, you get teams that have uh, withstood the marathon of 162 games and come out on top. In some cases, by by a lot. And then uh, get beat in a in a best three out of five, which you know over probably ten games even wouldn't have happened. But in this these particular four or five games, it it, it did. So I think that's a bit of an issue uh, for me as a traditionalist. And you know, if, if you win over a hundred games and you don't have any more handy, uh, you know, handicapped in your favor. The handicap, the odds in your favor are, are no, nothing more than than uh, you know home field advantage, uh, and having a buy in the in the wild card round. I mean, I, it doesn't it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like enough. So, having said all that, these have been. I think what it points out into your other question about should the Twins fans have hope? Uh, yes, in in short series. Anybody can beat uh, anyone, and depending on the matchup in a seven-game series, anyone can beat anyone. In 87, we won four of the seven games, and we won those four games because the only uh, two real bona fide starting pitchers we had pitched two really uh, well-pitched games uh, each, 
And those are the four games we won. Three of the four, we pounded the ball. And the fourth game, the game, the deciding game, was uh, was won by, you know, some, some timely hitting and great pitching. So, you know, there's a lot of ways to win. Having said that, what we're seeing this year is really great pitching front to back. I mean, block down, forget it. You guys that hit all year, you ain't hitting us. And we've seen it. All the teams that are uh, that are currently in have played the postseason that way, where they have just locked the other team uh, down, absolutely. And uh, even the Indians, too. We don't know if the Indians and Guardians are going to be in there uh, or not, but that that's the way they've they played as well. So for Twins fans that don't think the Twins have enough pitching front to back, it's a little worrisome. I will just say. Yeah, in a short series, you can win a variety of ways. Lavelle? Yeah, um, I like the format. I've always, I'm not a big, big fan of playing one game to move on in the postseason after playing 162. I think after 162 games, you know who's good, you know who's bad. Um, you should give the, uh, a team a shot in a shorter three-game series. And for those teams who uh, have avoided the wild card round, they will jump at the chance to have three days off to reset their pitching staff and to set up the rotation for the next series. So I think it works for both for both sides. Um, and we've seen some fascinating games. 100 win uh, Dodgers team out. Uh, Atlanta Braves out. Uh, Yankees could be out in three hours. Uh, we don't know. They're about to tee off against Cleveland in the um, deciding game of their series. Um, so you always like up, upsets. You like underdogs. Um, you know, San Diego is a small market, but they don't spend like a small market team. But to see them finally come together as after being kind of typecasted as an underachieving team, you know, has been fun to see. Um, we saw another great managing moment when um, Dave Roberts decided to bring in the lefty with a 1-0 count uh, on a hitter. And they also decided to let Juan Soto pretty much – I don't know what type of dance that was. He was like shimmying from first to second uh, <laughs> between pitches without being held on or, or, or because of defensive indifference. And I'm screaming at the TV. They are going to rule this moment if there's a single. And sure enough, there was. And two runs scored um, to help the Padres knock off the Dodgers. So there's been some cool things. As far as hope for Twins fans, yeah and no. Um, from the aspect that um, – in any given series, you know, underdog can jump up and and, and snatch uh, and snatch the hopes and dreams from a from a bigger batter team. Um, the other end of it is is that, in addition to you know some of the higher payrolls in baseball reaching the playoffs, I guess there's a chart out there that shows that nine out of the top ten teams in terms of spending money on pitching made the postseason this year, hmm. <laughs> which. Uh, which uh, is a signal to the Twins to, that they're going to get after a little bit. Now, to their defense, they use a lot of young pitchers uh, this year, a lot of guys with zero to three years of experience, a lot of guys under control who haven't gotten to the point where they're making a big buck yet to push that. So you expect that that number to rise. I think the Twins are like 26 on the same uh, list of uh, money allocated toward pitching. Um, that number should go up easily over the next couple of years as guys get more experience and get better, or if they end up, you know, trading for a quality arm. 
Um, uh, the Twins have historically been reluctant to invest a lot of money in pitching. I mean, that's one reason why they traded Johan Santana, which is probably the last guy they really, really should have worked hard to try to to try to keep. Um, so uh, it, it's going to have to get to a point here where, you know, if you want to be a contending team in the postseason, you could put together a roster, you could put together a bomber squad, but in the end, you got to invest in pitching. Um, you think about the bomber squad here, maybe they missed a moment there where they should have pushed harder to add a quality arm to that staff because you're only going to have um, a unique opportunity the year when you hit 307 home runs. Uh, in in the season to tie the major league record, maybe should have pounced that, taken advantage of that moment a little more aggressively. Uh, easy to say that looking back on it, but um, yeah, there are listeners for Twins fans to be encouraged by and also to be worried by. And to your 2019 point, Lavelle. By the way, good detail on that payroll stuff. That's really fascinating. I just still have trouble reconciling the fact that the Twins won 101 games and had Randy Dobnik start. Game two of the World Series, to, to game two of the playoffs in the Yankee Stadium. It just makes no sense to me. It's a uh, it's over geekology uh, at its finest. There, um, deciding that Jake Odorizzi, who I think was named to the All Star team that year, was not good enough to start in um, in Yankee Stadium. That, that's uh, and it, it, and it, history repeats itself. You know, um, somehow the Twins end up with these lopsided pitching matchups in Yankee Stadium. Game one sixty three, they beat Detroit. They go to New York to move on to the postseason, and it's Brian Dunsing starting game one. You know, and I don't know how they, they get in these messes here, uh, but they do, and the, that should not have happened. That's just a critical error, and to me, that's 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 over. Well, it's not over managing. It's just over. It's 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 a poor usage of your research and development people um, to sit there and look at stats and numbers and go, oh, Dominic's the guy. He can get ground balls in Yankee Stadium. No, Dominic has no experience in Yankee Stadium and that type of atmosphere. There are some things that cut through um, a printout or some sort of uh, statistical analysis, and that is succeeding in one of the toughest places to pitch in in October. So um, that's troubling to me. The Twins hit 307 home runs in 2019 and didn't hit anything in the playoffs, too. So, uh, yep. you know, I mean, that was that wasn't it. It would have made it uh, more fun if the Twins could pitch like crazy. Uh, if they had if they had spent a whole bunch of money on on pitching and they could pitch like crazy. So they could have gotten beat two to one instead of eight to one. <laughs> uh, you know, you bring up a good point. Um, the offense stopped hitting because I remember game one was bad. And I'm on the field before game two. I was with Marley Rivera with ESPN. She's like, let's talk to your, let's talk to your Latin players. So she's like asking questions in Spanish and translating for me. And Miguel Sano was like coming out of the batting cage. And she's asking him about uh, their approach. And Miguel said, we have lost our minds. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. <laughs> like, this well, team remember <laughs> also in that game one, after winning 101 games, the, the fielding was horrible. Uh, they made a couple of horrible uh, defensive mistakes that really cost them that game too. So, you know, which I guess just proves that. Uh, well, I'm not sure what it proves. It proves. You know, something. I got to say, I, I got to say though that I mean, in the final analysis, you know, a team if they're going to go deep in the playoffs, they've got to be really, really strong on the mound. I mean, they they really do. You can't hit enough. And uh, I think the reason we beat the Cardinals is because uh, in '87. You know, it is because we had a really good offensive lineup and the Cardinals pitching was good, but it wasn't locked down. 
I mean, it, 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 we, got, we got hot at the right time with a bunch of hitters that were really great. And the Cardinals pitching staff couldn't, uh, you know, couldn't uh, live up to that. So, um, or couldn't handle that. So, but I still think that, you know, lockdown pitching staffs are what, what ultimately wins. Let's see. They had, I'm sure they had, uh, they had John Tudor. They had, was it Bobby Cox? Danny Cox? Dan, John Tudor, Danny, Danny and- Cox, Joe McGrain. And I don't remember if there was a, who pitched the fourth game. If they came, well, they must have come back with, some guy named Matthews. Matthews. Who's Matthews? Some guy named Matthews started a game in that series. No. Wait a minute. Am I reading the right line here? Yeah, Matthews. I don't know what that is. Last name Matthews started a game in 87 World Series against the Twins. They had Tyrell in the bullpen. I remember that. He's pretty, he's uh, pretty Greg good. Greg Matthews started game four. Yeah. Huh. But I don't that. remember him either. No, I don't either. He had a 408 ERA. Career-wise, he went 28 and 33. Career 1987, he was 11 and 11 with a 3.73 ERA. So he was a legitimate part of the rotation, just you know, not a not a standout, but he, he was. And uh, oh, and, and he finished like sixth in the Rookie of the Year voting that year. So he was a young guy who uh, had some promise at that point. Hmm. So in Game Seven, they okay. started. I'm pretty sure they started Joe McGrain. That's where they uh, had had uh, gotten to, and. Um, we started Frankie V in the Metrodome with our, you know, with our guys swinging the bats great. And we'd score 10 runs the night before. I mean, I, I, I really felt like it was, it was advantage us going into the game. I mean, I, I felt like, I think I felt like Frankie was going to be, uh, was going to hold him down enough for us, for the offense to get to McGrain and whoever else they threw out there. And it turns out Frankie V was, you know, way better than just holding him down. Your buddy Dan Glad hit a grand slam in that series, he didn't he? Uh, yep. um, I, remember I don't remember if it was in the, against the Cardinals or I, it might have been against Detroit in the, in the, oh. I know I know in the po- he had a grand slam in the postseason and by the oh, way man. that game 7 it was Joe McGrain started 4 and a third innings 2 runs Danny Cox came in 2 thirds of an inning uh, 1 run and then he got a run off Todd Worrell who was who went 3 innings in that game and then Frankie went 8 and Reardon went 1 Glenn had 7 RBIs in that series that may have been the grand slam hmm. the man was pretty good in the postseason yeah, he was. So I'll tell he you, was. I'll tell you a Game Seven uh, World Series story, and this is not. Uh, yes. This is not my talking. We have that talk with Frankie V about throwing his fast. Which is the greatest Game Seven story that we've heard <laughs> on this show? Well, this is uh, this is a personal one, but it, I was uh, DH and uh, against right-handed pitching, and they were started. You know, starting with Grain in Game Seven. So after we win Game Six, my dad and mom are back here in Minnesota, staying with us to go to the last two games. We win, you know, 10, 10 to six. Herbie hit the hit the uh, grand slam, and um, so we come back to uh, our ho- our house, and the kids are uh, in bed, and uh, my mom and my wife go to bed, and my dad and I are sitting up having a beer or two, just kind of rehashing. And so finally, it was kind of time to go to bed, and my dad said, "Well, what do you think about tomorrow?" And I said, uh, oh, I, I, I really think we're going to win. And he said, no, I, yeah, well, good. I mean, I'm glad to hear that. But I was, uh, what do you think about you, you know, about you in the game? Are you going to, what, what do you think? Uh, how are you, you going to get in there? I said, I know exactly when I'm going to hit. Uh, and he said, when? And I said, I will hit in the sixth inning or later against Todd Worrell with the game on the line. 
And he goes, really? And I said, yep, that's it. I can, I can see it coming. And the reason I, the reason I said that is because there were only two players in the lineup that uh, Tom Kelly was going to pinch hit for, uh, potentially three in, in Laudner, but, but basically uh, they, they were, it, TK with the game on the line and either Lombardozzi or Gagne um, yeah, up, uh, coming up, I, I figured uh, they'd pinch hit because he had one middle of the infield move. He, uh, I could pinch hit for one of them, and Al Newman could go in and play. So it was going to have to be late in the game. It have to be at the game on the line. And, um, so, um, and I said Todd Worrell because, A, he was going to be in the game at that point if the game was on the line, and, B, I had uh, hit a double against Worrell on the hit, pinch hitting in the first game so i figured it'd be me so about the fourth inning of that you know it's it's two to two and and, uh fifth inning or something two to two and i'm looking at the lineup turn you know how it's going to turn over i'm sitting there staring at the line dugout i better get ready i ran up the stairs i went in the in the clubhouse and you know did a bunch of stretching swinging the bat uh came down now we're going to hit in the uh, bottom of the sixth, I think it was either sixth or the seventh, but I, I think it was the sixth. And um, uh, they get a couple of guys on. We get a couple of guys on. I'm standing in the uh, in the runway back behind the dugout uh, with my uh, batting gloves on, and bat in hand, helmet on, uh, and Tom, Tom Kelly. <laughs> walks around the corner and uh, looks at me. Randy Bush is standing there. I think Larkin's there too. Looks at me and says, he, he points at me and says, you go get him. So uh, it's sure shit. I mean, that's, I walk up there against Worrell, uh, two guys on a two to two, uh, two to two ball game in the, in the six. And I felt like the game was pretty much on the line. It was one of the best at bats I had ever had just a Titanic, Ball one, foul ball, foul ball, ball two, foul ball, ball, you know, that kind of deal. Finally, finally walked. And uh, Gagne came up after that with the bases loaded and, and uh, broke his bat, hit that dribbler down the third base line they beat out. That was, and then I think Danny Gladden hit a sacrifice fly later on in the game. We, we won the game four to two. But um, I, 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 could, I could see it the night before. <laughs> I went to bed see, seeing Todd Worrell with the game on the line. That was one of the things that, uh, you know, I, before I became a baseball beat writer, I called a bunch of people who were really good at the job and asked them, you know, just about, because covering baseball is different than covering any other sport. There's more access, there are more layers to the organizations. Uh, there's more knowledge required. Uh, it's a more difficult, it's a, you know, it's a game that requires patience and perspective. So I talked to a lot of people. One of the things they told me was, what you're going to be amazed by as a baseball writer, who, if you're there every day, is you're going to know before the manager makes his moves, exactly what he's going to do. That's right. And, of course, Roy, being a player, knew what was going to happen the day before a World Series game, which is amazing. Uh, hey, I wanted to uh, bring up a couple of names you brought up, uh, Roy, and since we're going back down the uh, the 87 rabbit hole here. First of all, I thought that, Greg, that Gagne was one of the most underrated keys uh, to the championship teams and that uh, when they decided, and nothing against Dave Winfield, he's a true Hall of Fame player, uh, but when they decided to bring in Dave Winfield and get rid of Greg Gagne, that that kind of cost them 
uh, infield defense, uh, you know, outs, spectacular outs. And that's one of the many reasons they started going downhill. Uh, so just give me your thoughts on Gagne as a, a factor in 87 and, and in 91. Uh, he was a huge factor in, in 87. He was a terrific, terrific defensive shortstop. Um, it, it was remarkable. Every talk about it, you know, how quick his first step was, and it was. But it really, just to say he had a great first step, uh, doesn't even uh, do it justice. He had, uh, he had, uh, he was, he was very quick. He, he was bit, uh, very fast. In addition to that, um, and he had a really uh, strong, accurate arm. I mean, he was a, he was a terrific player. And, and I really think that um, you know, defensive play like that from the shortstop can uh, can really hold a hold a team together in in a lot of ways. And say, I think he was. He was uh, he was key in in eighty seven and and I think that's a bad that's a bad trade uh, Winnie for Gagne yep. at that point in Winnie's career. I mean, Dave yeah. Winfield's one of my favorite uh, uh, players and teammates. I played with him for almost three, and uh, I, I loved him as a teammate. He played hard every day, never begged out or injured him, and, and a Hall of Fame player. You know, so in in, in all senses of the word. Um, Ego included. I has got Hall of Fame ego, but um, but but he would laugh at himself. I'd, he'd he'd be going off in the in the clubhouse, you know, talking to the reporters about how great he was, and he'd look to, just have a look down. I was a couple of loggers away, and I'd be rolling my eyes at him, and he'd say, "Okay, okay, <laughs> let me let me quit BSing around here." You know, <laughs> he, he, uh, but he's a wonder, just a wonderful guy, and a wonderful teammate. But you know, for how what the makeup of your team is, he wasn't going to. Uh, be the Winfield that, that you know the Hall of Fame Winfield and and Gagne was going to be a, a, a pretty strong piece of glue and yeah I, I I'm not crazy about that move either. Well, it was weird because um, at my first year as a beat writer covering the Kansas City Royals it was like uh, 94 95 and that's when they had Gagne and they had a guy Eddie so yep. I had had both those guys from the Twins. <laughs> um, that's right. You know, talking questions about the World Series exploits, you know, so. Uh, that was pretty neat for me. It just goes to show, though, uh, and we've talked about this an awful lot in in, in uh, relation to what the what the twins um, you know need to do. Uh, and uh, Gags was a great defensive player. He had a lot of offensive promise too. I mean, he could hit the ball a long way. Uh, he had good life in his bat and all that kind of stuff. But the the offense was just never quite lived up uh, enough evidently to the defense because he went to the Dodgers he went to San Diego I mean he went to uh, Kansas City he went to the Dodgers and it, it just points out that especially in the American League uh, back in the day with the designated hitter and all you just it, it, teams are always concerned about uh, offense at every position they're concerned about offense and so the combination of I mean the whole thing is about the combination of offense and defense you don't get too many Carlos Correas. You, you know, you just don't. And uh, when you don't have a Carlos Correa, generally speaking, well, not generally speaking, you have two things. You have a really good defensive player that is is too much of an out at the plate. Uh, evidence, uh, Pedro Florimon, who could pick it as well, if not better than Gagne, and and you know, and and struggle with the Mendoza line, uh, and they they couldn't, you know, Guardi couldn't live with that, and or. You've got Jorge Polanco, who's going to give you an awful lot of offense, and there's always whispers, you know, about uh, about his defense, and and so it, it just it, it it just reminds me again, as good as as Gags was, 
uh, you know, a whole finding a combination of offense and defense at shortstop and catcher that uh, that you really like is it's rare and it's important if you have an opportunity. Does having a strong shortstop increase now that the shift's going to be uh, legislated next year? Or the anti-shift? Yeah, the anti-shift. That's what I mean. Yep. Yeah, I really, I, I really think so. I think it's, uh, you know, I, I think it uh, severely hampered the the range plays and the you know and the dive plays. I mean, you know, one thing about the shift, uh, if you think about it. They got the positioning right. Oh, I mean, dead right. A lot of the time, uh, you, you, yeah. you put a, you know, a second baseman and a shortstop and a third baseman in you know certain positions and a shift, and you don't see the you don't see the guys diving for balls that they're in front of the ball or they'd hit two steps to the left yep. and they're in, in front of the ball. You know, what I mean, it, and um, that would indicate to me uh, that. Um, a a good a good defense up the middle is going to be uh, more. It's always been, you know, obviously really important. It's going back to the old days now. With, with you know, it's gonna you're going to start seeing, you know, really great shortstop play again or not. I think maybe the question that I will lead off next show with is: Would you, given the what we've gotten into on this show, would you rather see the Twins spend big money on Correa? or on a pitcher? That'll be the question to mull for the next week. We'll get into it next week. For today, uh, once again, we do want to thank Corona, the Im- official import beer sponsor of the Minnesota Twins and the presenting sponsor of the Chin Music Show here at TalkNorth.com. Uh, again, I want to thank Brian Burdett, our producer, and thank you for listening. Again, subscribe to your favorite podcast app. It's free. It's easy. For today, uh, I do want to go back to our, uh, our music minute. Uh, and if either of you have something in mind, let me know now. Otherwise, I'll go first and you can think about it. I don't. You can go ahead. So I'm going to be uh, a cliche. I'm going to be utterly predictable. I'm going to mention Springsteen, but I'm going to mention him because <laughs> he's putting out an album of soul standards. Uh, really? He's all, he's all, soul has always been probably – I mean, yeah, he, rock and roll is his main thing. But it, it, when you see him live as many times as I've seen him, the backup singing, the, the construction – the, the harmonies, it really has so much soul in it. And now he's putting out a, an album of soul albums. And, and it's like Jackie Wilson is the Commodores. It's just, there's just, it's just great stuff. It's fabulous. So I, if you like soul music, if you like music, check it out. He's already got two videos out right now. Uh, I'll also say that uh, I heard the song Drift Away recently, and I decided my band has to play that song. It's such a great old standard. So that's my contribution. Uh, do either of you have anything today? Well, I'll just add, as long as you're talking about old standards, I haven't listened to an awful lot of music lately. I've been watching, uh, you know, I've been working and watching baseball, basically. <laughs> but um, I, I uh, played some music the other day, uh, just on a Friday or Saturday night, sitting uh, out of my um, in my back uh, patio uh, with a with a beverage and and listen to music and uh, played some some old uh, blues soul standards and I'm just I'm gonna encourage people to uh, everybody knows Etta James and um, and the, at last is the, you know one of the one of the great songs of all time her version of, uh, yes. of at last. But she also, mm-hmm. uh, and listen to that, but I, uh, I also listened to 
Uh, I'd rather go blind. Uh, it's it's phenomenal. Just so go find. I'd rather Ed James. I'd rather go blind. Listen listen to that. And then I've got one really deep one. If you can find it, and I think you I think you can. It's um, Nina Simone doing. I put a spell on you. And Nina Simone. Man, is that You're about sixties and seventies. I probably listened to that as much as I listened to uh, to anything else. She was just so, so good. What a great performer. She's a great, a nice piano player, great blues, soul, jazz, whatever it took, singer. Uh, and maybe one of the most underrated uh, performers, I think, uh, in, uh, in that whole genre or in all genres. Listen, anything that she did, but go find, I put a spell on you. I will. Yeah, Springsteen did. Uh, it's, he's put out, the two he's put out so far are "Do I Love You," which is a uh, uh, just fantastic, and the, the videos are cool because it's like a blend of like American Bandstand and Soul Train, the way it the, blends it together. And the other one is uh, "Night Shift," the Commodore song about Marvin Gaye and Jackie Wilson. So I would okay. check those out. All right, and Lavelle, you're on the clock. You got to come up with some music for us next week. I sure will. And we'll talk about Korea pitching and the postseason. Hey, thanks to everybody for listening. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. 